that. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, yeah, or when you or hear pages not pages moving. moving so. so. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw that the stripes of linen lying there, and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was, he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanoni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had, had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with his brethren on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you have not forgiven them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach your hand and put it into the side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe, and Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweetie. 
Hi, buddy. Ruby. Hi, buddy. So, I'm doing something a little different today in regards to how I usually preach and teach. I actually typed up my sermon today because I wanted to make sure that I covered all the things that I just felt like the Lord was laying on my heart to speak to this group today. Um, it's a little different for me to do this. I see people smiling at me like, oh my gosh, he's going to read from something. But I do pretty good at reading from things as well. But I just once again want your guys' hearts to be positioned. I even want to carry over from what we talked about last week as well. And my wife just reading this account. Once again, I, I want to ask this group, how do we feel when we hear that story, that account of the resurrection? How do we feel? My question last week was one that I'll ask again. Do we believe such accounts when we hear them? I'll also ask again, do you believe with grace? Or in other words, do you believe with effect in your life? And I'll revisit that question later on. But the account of the resurrection is one that I know many people struggle with who are non-believers. But maybe even those who say they're Christian. We're told in Romans 10.9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you'll be saved. So does this struggle come simply from not being able to comprehend that someone physically rose from the grave? And not only that, but the body of Christ was made radiant and new. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. You guys sitting here, I want you to realize and understand, as many of you do, but maybe some of you struggle with, that sin is very real. Can I get an amen to that? Thank you, Dax. Sin is real. The wages of sin are what? Death. Everyone in this room sees sin and death all around us every day. Can I get an amen to that? Good job, Dax. We sit in this room literally dying. I stand, I stand up here dying. You guys are sitting out there in the church dying, right? We're all in agreement to that. We're in these bodies that are intertwined and saturated with what? Sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die. I cannot argue with the fact that death was indeed real. I want you guys to, to think about this, okay? I want you to, to wrap your brains around this. Doesn't death influence our mindsets daily? Think about it. This is just logical thought, right? It does. It affects what we do. It affects how we live. The list can go on and on. We avoid certain things out of fear of death. We eat certain things out of fear of death. Death is just a primary influence over the thing. It, it, it invokes fear in us. All these things that we see, death has such a huge influence on. 
I just, in my unbelief, before I came to the Lord, I could not argue with the fact that the world just seemed very broken and off. How many of you would argue with that fact? We are seen through the lenses of news, through interactions with people every day. We watch and witness, even ourselves, we can't excuse ourselves from this, that the world is just fallen. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I love that Dax says those things. Thank you, Dax. Thank you, mister. This is what, it's fine. This is what, I want him to hear this. I could not argue with the fact that I always desired to fulfill something in me that I could never fulfill. How many of you struggle with that? Especially as non-believers, this is a big thing. We, we all struggle with this thing in us that we want to try to fulfill. It's like beating a rock and hoping water would come from it. Life in this messed up world dictated my steps in this false feeling of validity and hope. I had to come to terms with this fact that sin was indeed real. I could no longer suppress that truth. I came to terms that I was blinded to the truth that death will eventually come to me as it comes for everyone. Would you guys agree to that? Death eventually comes for us all. It comes for How many of you in this room have lost someone to death? How many of you have looked in the mirror recently and go, I don't look the way that I looked 15 years ago. I don't look, I, I don't look the way that I looked five years ago. This is all the circumstances of the fall. This is us dying. This is something for me as a non-believer that I had to come to terms with and, and, and understand that as much as I wanted to sugarcoat things, there is a realness of life that I could not reconcile. And that was death. And you guys are in here like, we're at Resurrection Sunday. This dude's speaking about death a lot. Isn't this a day about life? And I will get to that point. But you guys need to grasp the reality of this because it's vital. It is important. As a kid, I was mortified of death. Horrified of it. I had an older brother that had a disease, cystic fibrosis, and I knew that he was eventually going to die at a young age. I would sit there and put myself in anguish about what it would be to die. Do I lay in a grave and I consciously know what's going on and I just can't breathe and I'm suffocating? Like this was real thinking from little Josh. And I would look at my brother and try to imagine life without him. These were things that just horrified me. Then upon losing him amongst other family members, I just struggled with reconciling this thing called death. Where does it come from? What is it about this idea of an afterlife? Is, is there an afterlife? All these things that I wrestled with. And that was upon through reading God's word that there was a revelation to me, a, a connection of logic as well. I realized that this real death came from sin that I witnessed in the world. This real death that I had experienced through losing family members and loved ones that my body was even experiencing was the wage of brokenness that was even inside of me. The struggles that I had, the thoughts that I would have. It's so easy to just look at the world around you and think, man, that person's messed up. This person's messed. Why would this happen? Oh my, it's easy to think that way. 
But God has this way of just kind of putting a mirror in front of us to see our hearts, especially apart from him. I realized that the real death, the wages of that real death was indeed, or the sin, the wages of that sin was indeed death. Now as a pastor, I don't find it ironic one bit that the very thing that I was mortified of, God had used to open my eyes to his truth. How many funerals would you say that I've presided over in five, six years? I've had pastors come up to me that have done this decades longer than me, and they go, I've seen your name in the paper quite a bit for funerals that you had to preside over. And every funeral that I sit at, it's this little chair that says clergy on it. And I have the same experience every time I sit down. I sit there and I hear laughter. I sit there and I hear crying. I'm in a house of mourning. But I sit there and I can't help but just wonder how in the world did I get here? Like, God, I, I struggled so much with what's going on. This environment mortified me. But it was that very environment that God used to validate his truth to my heart. And I just remember sitting there just struggling, and I, and I tell my wife, every time I get done doing a funeral, every time I go and I sit, with, with, with people that are dying or family members of the dying, you sit there and you can still see that struggle in their eyes of trying to reconcile what's going on. Those who aren't Christians, those who don't believe, they just wonder how or why these things are taking place. And I know many of you sitting here probably still with those struggles. But death is what? It is real. It is so real. It's coming for us all. One of the things that I always preach at every funeral that I do is out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. The house of mourning is more valuable than a house of feast. Why is that? Because nothing makes us think about our lives more than death. Nothing does. Nothing makes us sit there and think about our mortality more than when we are sitting in front of a loved one that's lying in a casket and they're no longer with us. You can't put a better perspective on your existence than death. But so easily we live each day like it's not coming for us. We live each day thinking that if we do certain things, if we eat a certain way, whatever, we can just keep pushing it back and pushing it back just to come to the realization that this life is just a vapor. I mean, think about it, church. It was just yesterday, right? that this person was with you. It was just yesterday that you were doing this. It was just yesterday that you had hair right here. It was just yesterday that this family member was with us. It was just yesterday. And God has brought you to this day. So when I look in the eyes of people, church, the eyes of people that are in their last days, these people, they suddenly lose someone that they thought would be around forever, they realize that death is real. But guess what? Death is not natural. And I want to say that again as a Christian. Death is not natural. Death was not intended upon our creation. It was only because of sin that death came into the world. We have to grasp that. My wife just read this beautiful account of Jesus' resurrection, so we're going to connect this here. You see, non-believers are parked on one of two sides, I found out. 
I want you guys to think about yourself before you came to the Lord. Side number one, I'm too far gone to be saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? Side number two, I'm good enough and I do not need to be saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? Maybe one of you, maybe you guys in here can kind of go, okay, I was on one of those sides. Both sides are lies. You see, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room has fallen short of God's glory. Everyone. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how good you think you are. We've all fallen short. Everyone in this room is born of Adam. We are born into sin. Everyone in this room has a rightful wage of death because of sin that they were born into. Now, in getting that established, we have to talk about today and what it truly means, the account that my wife just read. And I want us to finally hear with our ears and our hearts with this message. We ready? We're going to connect some dots here. And this might be revelation to some people. It might just simply be a reminder to you who believe. But as we opened up church today, I want this reverence to set in with us as Christians. I want us to be reminded of this day. So because of sin, death was our deserving wage. We all can agree that death is real, right? We've all established that. We all should agree that because of what we see around us and what we struggle with inside of us, that what else is real? Sin. God knew that there was nothing we could do to ever pay back that debt of sin. Nothing. Some of us may sit in this room today struggling with that, thinking that if you do enough, act good enough, be good enough, that you'll be right. You won't. We read in the Old Testament laws and commandments that God set forth to Moses, laws that were not meant to save but show us our sin and God's holiness. The law acts as a power to that sin. We'll get into that in a little bit. A sacrificial system was set in place to temporarily atone for the sins that came from breaking these laws. All of us in this room, guess what, have broken those laws. Everyone. Some of you maybe have broken them this morning. And I'm not saying that it'd be high and righteous because I probably did as well. An object or a place of worship was also made by human hands. Human kings to rule over God's covenant people, prophets that were messengers from God, and priests that were intercessors between God and his covenant people. God's people always strayed and wandered away from him. Creation constantly neglected and disobeyed the Creator. Just like back in the garden, but guess what? Just like today. There's nothing new under the sun, church. Death was still the end game as far as God's people were concerned. A promised Messiah would come, but no one knew when, no one knew who, and no one knew how. All of these learned kings, prophets, and priests, they were in the dark to this, quote, mystery. They did not know that their lives were filled with simply types and shadows of the one to come. At God's appointed time, he sent his son. The son was born of a virgin. The son had to be born of a virgin and of the spirit because he could not be born of Adam. Do we know why that is? 
because he would have been born in a bloodline of sin, not making him sinless. The sacrificed church had to be perfect. The virgin birth matters. Philippians 2 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I stand up here as a pastor to say to you guys, do not believe any teaching that says Christ was never God and emptied himself of deity. I don't believe that. I believe that that removes the foundation of God's grace and love for his creation. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He willfully left heaven to dwell with us. The humility of Christ is expressed in the act of him leaving heaven to dwell with us still as God. At God's appointed time, Christ had a forerunner named who? John the Baptist, who announced the kingdom of God is near and that all need to repent. Christ, staying and holding true to the covenant of God, to his covenant people, was baptized by John. Even though Christ knew no sin, the sacrifice had to be perfect. Christ's ministry begins, a ministry of truth, judgment, and salvation. A ministry of hope and peace, a ministry of life and truth. A ministry as well of signs and wonders to show his deity. A ministry that would have people calling him Savior and Messiah on a Sunday. But then in a matter of a few days, had people calling for his death on a cross that coming Friday. You see, Christ lived on this earth, church, in a way that disqualifies any of you to say he didn't get it. He doesn't understand my pain. He doesn't understand my brokenness. He doesn't understand my loss, my humiliation. That, true, that too is a lie. He lived sinless, yet experienced temptation, anguish, hunger, thirst, betrayal, humiliation, and much more, but never gave in to any of it. Why? Because the sacrifice had to be perfect. That earlier passage out of Philippians continues on to say that Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus knew why he was born, how his life was to play out, and how his death would be. The sacrifice, once again, church, had to be perfect. I ask you one more time, the wages of sin is what? Death. death. So the fact that Christ knew no sin, he was perfect in his obedience... So according to the rules here, guess what? Death could not hold him. This is why you and I die, because we are sinners. This is why death could not hold Christ, because what? He never sinned. He never knew sin. Sometimes we can just slap and say, oh, there's this power to it. Yeah, that's truth. But guess what? According to the rules of things, the justness of God Death had no grasp on Christ because he had no sin to his account. Christ never had the wages of death paid to him, even though he died. The same spirit that put him in Mary's womb is the same spirit that, guess what? Rose him from the grave. We are told he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead for our justification. His resurrection, what we're here today for, solidifies everything he said and done. 
His resurrection was proof that God accepted the sacrifice and saw it as perfect. The resurrection stamped the truth of death being put to death by the death of Jesus Christ. I say that to you one more time. The resurrection stamped the truth of death being put to death by the death of Jesus Christ. This is the victory Christ has given you and I. I want us all to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, we're starting off at verse 50. First Corinthians 15 verse 50 starts off here by saying, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your victory where O death is your sting the sting of death is what church and the power of sin is what, church? The law. the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Church, the law powers our sin. It powers my sin. Paul says in Romans 7 that I would not know what coveting was if the law never said thou shalt not covet. It was through the law that coveting sprang to life in me, which then means death sprang to life in me. Now, some of you may struggle with this and go, okay, how is this connected? What does he mean by this? Have any of you guys ever seen a button with the words above it that says do not push? Is it just me or is there something in us that springs to life that goes, man, I want to push that button. Dave, thank you for your honesty. There you go. We, we even think about it like with the yard sign. Like we, we have True Green that comes by and they put a yard sign in the yard. It says stay off the yard and all that. It's like our kids see the sign. Can we play outside? Can we play outside? They just, it's like they want us all of a sudden just go play out in the yard all that much more. This is sin. This is our sin. This is the law powering our sin. We know that God has written his laws on our hearts, but it's in the law that we find that it actually brought an increase to the trespasses. 
It was never meant to be a layout for you and I to look at and go, man, this is how we need to be for God to save us because that was never the plan. That was never the mystery or the message. The law was just to show you and I how sinful we are and how holy God is. Sin is the sting of death. Death would not be here if sin was absent. Christ died. He died like a lawbreaker. He died like a sinner. He suffered a sinner's death. Now some of you may be asking, well wait, you said he was perfect, and so why would he die a sinner's death? That right there, church, is my point. I want you to think about that. He died for you. He died for the button pushers, the lawn dancers, the gluttons, the drunkards, the murderers, the liars, the adulterers. Pick your sin, church. He died for you. That's grace. There's nothing you could ever do. None of you in here could do anything. He suffered that kind of death, the death that was worthy of those who are sinners and lawbreakers for you, even though he was sinless. He was the perfect sacrifice. This is a case where the hero died for the villain. The resurrection of Christ shows his death was not in vain. The resurrection shows that death lost its sting. That the victory belongs to Christ, so if anyone believes in him, this belief involves the resurrection. That we too are victorious. That we too will not know death. Do we believe that in this room today? Do we have a reverence for that truth? Because this is our hope as Christians. This is our hope as the body of believers of Christ. And in closing here, guys, when I read the accounts of the resurrection, the fact that Christ revealed himself to Mary first and used women to bring the news that he has risen should go highly noted. Why is that? (laughs) I love you. Women's testimony and their accounts were not held in the highest of regard. If anything, guess what? They were questionable. I better not hear any amen from any men in here. But I sit there and I think to myself too, and you read this, what makes a good witness? Any of you guys that are involved in any form of court or law enforcement or anything like that, like what really makes a good witness? One should ask, what are they getting in return for their witness and their testimony? It's a great way to determine who's a good witness. What did the men and women who Jesus revealed himself to get in return for their accounts? What kind of kickback did they get? See, this was the logic side of Josh now. Okay, everyone's like, oh, it's in the Bible. You just believe it. and just have... This isn't a blind faith that we're called to have, church. That there's historical accounts and witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, of him wandering around and people seeing him. 
But I would sit there and I would wrestle with this stuff. Like, wait a minute, nothing in the Bible actually said or talked about the Jesus. You know, no one ever really saw him leave. And they go into the tomb, and as Jelaine just read, the, the, the claws were there and all that. But I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, and I go, well, wait a minute. You know, one of the claws was folded very nicely. And I go, if someone really went in there to rob a body, would they, would they fold the cloth up? Like, this is how my brain worked. But then an understanding later, like in Jewish context, is this cool message in, in regards to folded linen is, is that when Jewish people would eat at the table and they would have slaves that would wait on them, there was ways for them to communicate with their servants and their slaves if they were done eating or if they were just simply going to the restroom. A way for me to tell my servant that I was going to be done with my meal is I would eat and I would have my, my napkin or my cloth and I would wad it up and I would just leave it just bundled up by my plate. And the servant would read and see that and go, oh, wait a minute, master's done, we can come and clear the table. But let's say I had to get up and do something else, but I wanted to come back. Guess what I would do? I would fold my cloth up and I would sit it by my plate. So when my servants came and they saw that cloth there, they would go, wait a minute, my master's coming back. So when the disciples went into the tomb and they saw the linen was folded, I sit there and think, man, Mary did a great job with Jesus, teaching him to make his bed and all that stuff. But at the same time, you walk in there and you see this message being put there by the master to his servants, to his disciples. I'm coming back. And I would sit there and I would wrestle, though. Once again, I'm going through it. I'm like, wait a minute. At the end of the day, these, these, these people, these women are going. The men are, are kind of being cowardly because they're all confused. Everyone's confused. Friday took place. What's going on? No one knows what's happening. No one understands. Hope, in a sense, was lost. We literally just watched this man that we swore was the Messiah be humiliated and beat and tortured and hung on a cross and we watched him die we watched him willfully as we read in the scriptures we got to remember that willfully give up his spirit but we watched him die what's going on here just to have these women come back and say he's risen he's no longer in the tomb so as I wrestled with this, once again, I sat there and I go, what kickback would they get from saying this? What would they get? What did they get? Yeah. My wife just said it. They, they got beat. They got humiliated. Many of them died for their account, for their testimony. They were willing to die. They were willing to die. So I asked this question, to you in this church and I want to make sure that I clear this up in closing does your belief in the resurrection produce effect in your life let that conviction sit in because church it convicted me when I was studying it this week I don't stand up here as a pastor to go yep I got it all figured out I'm good and I get to speak over this body I'll even set down a step and say it to you again does the account that my wife read to you, does it sit in your heart in a way that Romans 10.9 just reminded us? This isn't just merely a words game because there's more to it. 
yeah, an emotion, we can utter some stuff, can we not? Heck, you pay me enough money, right? I'll probably say what you want me to say. But there's another element to this that's truth. Do you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead? And if you say you do, does that truth have effect in your life? This is vital for us to grasp. They got humiliated, as I said. Many of them got killed. Would you endure those things for someone, something you didn't believe in? Think about that. These accounts that they gave, what my wife just read, would you go through that for something that you didn't believe in? I can show you what a person is willing to die for based on what they're willing to live for. I've learned that as a Christian. We, we can so easily sit there and be high and mighty go, I'd die for Christ. I'd die for him in a second. That's not the question we should be asking ourselves, church. Are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to live for him? It's quiet now in this room, and that's good. I want that. Made me very quiet in my spirit as I'm reading and studying this. Are you willing to live for him? Do you live for Christ Jesus? If you do not, I will say once again, I'm going to say it to you again if you're in here, and this word is piercing your heart. Here's truth. You can never be so good that you don't need him. And you can never be so bad that he can't save you. I'm going to say it one more time. You can never be so good that you don't need him. And you can never be so bad that he can't save you. I pray that you receive the truth spoken to you today and that if you do in your heart, I pray that you profess it out in the open. Let today, a day of celebration, a day of life, be a celebration of your salvation. Let it be a day where new life is given to you. Even if you sit in here and you're like, you know, I, I, I thought I'd I, I wrestle with the... You're not too far gone for Christ to save you. If you do this, as the Bible says, as, as truth says, guess what? You'll be saved and you won't know death. Your existence will be one of honoring Him in sickness and in health, sharing this news with the world, until death do you unite in eternity. Amen? Amen. He is risen. I'm going to say it one more time. He is risen. I'm going to put on the song in closing. We ask that you guys stay for the song. I ask that you guys pray, especially if you're in this room. I'm going to close here in prayer as well people in here maybe that have wrestled with this, that today be a day of freedom for them and a day of or salvation and a day of celebration as well. Because I know people in here struggle. I do. I know that they're on one of those sides of the fence here. I'm too good. I don't need them. Too bad. He can't, he can't save me. It's a lie. And I want you guys to know that freedom today. I, I even ask you guys, if you're willing to, to come up front and we can, we can have people even pray for you if you do. Amen.
Heavenly Father, Lord, I just give you thanks for your truth and your word. Lord, I give you, I give you thanks for your birth, your death, and your resurrection. That you died for us on that cross and you justified us through your resurrection, Lord. And as I spoke on Friday, the Good Friday service, and learning that when we want to wipe something clean, something else has to get dirty. Lord, you had to get dirty for us to to get clean. Lord, you had to be broken for us to be made whole. Lord, you had to die for us to be given new life. So I pray right now, the, the power of your word, power of your Holy Spirit, that individuals in this room that did not know this truth had that truth revealed to them today, today, that they openly profess that truth out loud. That they, if it be in the pews or come up front, that they sit there and they repent of their old life. They put to death their old self and they see you and profess you to be Lord and Savior of their life moving forward. That they accept the promises that you've given them, the hope that you've given them, that they'll never know death. That their final appointment is set in stone, which means everything that takes place from here on out has nothing but peace on their heart in the midst of it. That you will guide them through it. Because you are our Lord and you are our Savior. We give you thanks, Lord. And we give you glory. It is in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen.